Chapter 30 of Thomas Wingfold Curate. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 30 The Curate's Progress. The visits of Wingfold to the little people at the gate not only became frequent, but more and more interesting to him. And as his office occasioned few demands on his attention, Polworth had plenty of time to give to one who sought instruction in those things which were his very passion. He had never yet had any pupil but his niece, and to find another, and one whose soul was so eager after that of which he had such long gathered store to dispense, was a keen, pure, and solemn delight. It was that for which he had so often prayed, an outlet for the living waters of his spirit into dry and thirsty lands. He had not much faculty for writing, although now and then he would relieve his heart in verse. And if he had a somewhat remarkable gift of discourse, to attempt public utterance would have been but a vain exposure of his person to vulgar mockery. In Wingfold he had found a man, docile and obedient, both thirsting after and recognizant of the truth, and if he might but aid him in unsealing the well of truth in his own soul, the healing waters might from him flow far and near. Not as the little Zacchaeus who pieced his own shortness with the length of the sycamore tree, so to rise above his taller brethren and see Jesus, little Polworth would lift tall wingfold on his shoulders first to see, and then cry aloud to his brethren, who was at hand. For two or three Sundays the curate, largely assisted by his friend, fed his flock with his gleanings from other men's harvests, and already, though it had not yet come to his knowledge, one consequence was that complaints running together made a pool of discontent, and a semi-public meeting had been held, wherein was discussed and not finally negatived the propriety of communicating with the rector on the subject. Some, however, held that, as the incumbent paid so little attention to the flock, it would be better to appeal to the bishop and acquaint him with the destitution of that portion of his oversight. But things presently took a new turn, at first surprising, soon alarming to some, and at length to not a few, appalling. Obedient to Polworth's instructions, Wingfold had taken to his New Testament. At first, as he read and sought to understand, ever and anon some small difficulty, notably foremost of all the discrepancy in the genealogies. I mention it merely to show the sort of difficulty I mean. Would, insect-like, shoot out of the darkness and sting him in the face. Some of these he pursued, encountered, crushed, and found he had gained next to nothing by the victory. And Polworth soon persuaded him to let such alone for the present, seeing they involved nothing concerning the man at a knowledge of whom it was his business to arrive. But when it came to the perplexity caused by some of the sayings of Jesus himself, it was another matter. He must understand these, he thought, or fail to understand the man. 
Here Polworth told him that if, after all, he seemed to fail, he must conclude that possibly the meaning of the words was beyond him, and that the understanding of them depended on a more advanced knowledge of Jesus himself. For while words reveal the speaker, they must yet lie in the light of something already known of the speaker to be themselves intelligible. Between the mind and the understanding of certain hard utterances, therefore, there must of necessity lie a gradation of easier steps. And here, Polworth was tempted to give him a far more important, because more immediately practical, hint, but refrained from the dread of weakening by presentation the force of a truth which in discovery would have its full effect. For he was confident that the curate, in the temper which was now his, must ere long come immediately upon the truth towards which he was tempted to point him. On one occasion, when Wingfold had asked him whether he saw the meaning of a certain saying of our Lord, Polworth answered him thus, I think I do, but whether I could at present make you see it, I cannot tell. I suspect it is one of those concerning which I have already said that you have yet to understand Jesus better before you can understand them. Let me, just to make the nature of what I state clearer to you, ask you one question. Tell me, if you can, what primarily did Jesus from his own account of himself, come into the world to do? To save it, answered Wingfold. I think you are wrong, returned Polworth. Mind, I said primarily. You will yourself come to the same conclusion by and by. Either our Lord was a phantom, a heresy of potent working in the minds of many who would be fierce in its repudiation, or he was a very man, uttering the heart of his life that it might become the life of his brethren. And if so, a honest man can never ultimately fail of getting at what he means. I have seen him described somewhere as a, as a man dominated by the passion of humanity or, or something like that. The description does not, to my mind, even shadow the truth. Another passion, if such I may dare to call it, was the light of his life, dominating even that which would yet have been enough to make him lay down his life. Wingfold went away pondering. Though Polworth read little concerning religion except the New Testament, he could yet have directed Wingfold to several books which might have lent him good aid in his quest after the real likeness of the man he sought. But he greatly desired that on the soul of his friend 
the dawn should break over the mountains of Judea. The light, I mean, flow from the words themselves of the Son of Man. Sometimes he grew so excited about his pupil and his progress, and looked so anxiously for the news of light in his darkness, that he could not rest at home, but would be out all day in the park, praying, his niece believed, for the young parson. And little did Wingfold suspect that now and again, when his lamp was burning far into the night because he struggled with some hard saying, the little man was going round and round the house, like one muttering charms, only they were prayers for his friend. Ill-satisfied with his own feeble affection, he would supplement it with its origin, would lay hold upon the riches of the Godhead, crying for his friend to the first stock father of gentleness. Folly all and fair subject of laughter to such as George Bascombe, if there be no God, but as Polworth, with his whole healthy holy soul believed, there is a God, it was for him but simple common sense. Still no daybreak, and now the miracles had grown troublesome. Could Mr. Polworth honestly say that he found no difficulty in believing things so altogether out of the common order of events, and so buried in the darkness and dust of antiquity, that investigation was impossible? Mr. Polworth could not say that he had found no such difficulty. Well, then why should the weight of the story, said Wingfold, the weight of its proof, I mean, to minds like ours, coming so long after and by their education incapacitated for believing in such things, in a time when the law of everything is stretched into, and yet very likely as far from understood as ever, interposed, but not interrupted Polworth, why should the weight of its proof, I ask, be laid upon such improbable things as miracles? That they are necessarily improbable, I presume you will admit. <sighs> Having premised that I believe every one recorded, said Polworth, <sighs> I heartily admit their improbability. <sighs> But the weight of proof is not, and never was laid upon them. Our Lord did not make much of them, and did them far more for the individual concerned than for the sake of the beholders. I will not, however, talk to you about them now. I will merely say that it is not through the miracles you will find the Lord. Though, after having found him, you will find him there also, the question for you is not, are the miracles true? But, was J Jesus true? Again, I say, you must find him, the man himself. When you have found him, I may perhaps retort upon you the question. Can you believe 
such improbable things as the miracles, Mr. Wingfold. The little man showed pretty plainly by the set of his lips that he meant to say no more. And again, Wingfold had with considerable dissatisfaction and no answer to go back to his New Testament. End of chapter 30 Read by John Sherman Winfield, Illinois.